I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and today we revisit our most potent performance enhancer, the secret to fitness improvement, heightened focus and clarity, better resilience and immune system, and a promise to enhancement of your health. Whew, that sounds good, doesn't it? But ladies and gentlemen, it's not on sale on Amazon. No, it is sleep. And we treat you today to part one of a special two-parter, your ultimate guide to sleep. And who better to lead us than Dr. Chris Winter, one of the preeminent sleep experts in the world. And if you don't know Chris, well, I'm gonna tell you a little bit about him. And it's gonna be worth me pulling from Wikipedia for some of this. But first of all, I wanna set the stage. Chris is a neurologist and he leads the Charlottesville Neurology and Sleep Medicine Center in Charlottesville, West Virginia. On top of that, Dr. Chris Winter is an American sleep researcher. He's a neurologist, author, and an absolute authority regarding sleep and athletic performance. In fact, an article in 2010 in Trail Runner magazine described him as the leading expert in the field of sleep disruption in athletes and issues related to travel. And why is that? That's because he is credited with the term circadian advantage. He did a lot of research on the effects of travel on Major League Baseball teams. And he studied the effect of sleep timing preference, pitcher performance, hitting performance. And his research actually linked the sleepiness of Major League Baseball players to a reduced career longevity. Goodness me. It becomes really, really important. To date, he's worked with numerous professional organizations, most notably... I like to say the San Francisco Giants, who publicly commented on his role in their club in 2012 and 14. Yes, they won the World Championships those years. And so I bring you today, Chris Winter, and to stir your saliva glands for this show, I also want to point out that Chris has a wonderful ability to simplify the complexity in this subject and make the subject actually really exciting and accessible. And so today we dig in. And it's great. But what I'm going to do following this episode is I'm going to go to the Purple Patch athletes and I'm going to ask for all of their questions around sleep. Because whenever we do topics like this, we always go back to our Purple Patch athletes and they say, but I've got so many questions. And so I've decided, you know what? Ask me, give me your questions. And Chris has very graciously agreed to come forth and put together a list of answers to his questions. And so in next week's episode, what we're going to do is a Q&A with Chris, but all of the questions are going to come from the Purple Patch Athlete. So this week, it's all about the basics of sleep, and you're not going to want to miss it because next week we dive into the questions. But before we get into the meat and potatoes, I do want to do, to kick us off today, a little squatty update. Yes, it's a squatty update and it's a quick one this week, but it's an important one. November the 16th, please mark your calendar because we have a very special event and it is not to be missed. Although even if you are going to miss it or you're listening to the show after the event, guess what? You can still benefit. You see, the title of this special event led by moi, me, is So You Want to Do Your First Ironman. Who's this event for? Well, it's obviously for contemplators of folks that might be interested in the Ironman distance triathlon. But it's also for you guys that have just registered for your first run at the Ironman distance or for those that have struggled in prior events. Hit roadblocks really found the journey to Ironman challenging. And it is even for you folks that love the concept, the idea, but just think, poof, Goodness me, there's no way I'm going to fit this into such the chaotic and craziness of my current life. And I promise you that if you attend, it will help you. In fact, I'm determined to break the mold of the perceptions of what it takes to thrive in IMAP performance during a time-starved life. I'm going to rewrite the roadmap and the pathway 
to help set you on a journey when you can actually thrive, improve your health, enjoy the training journey without it feeling like a monkey on your back or your family's back on top of that. And also ensure that you end up with a magical race day experience. You see, you can do an Ironman in a time-starved life, but the benefits of doing it should go well beyond the actual competition itself. So look, Let's think about it this way. I can drive you into the desert right now, and you will probably survive the walk home. But that isn't what your Ironman journey should feel like. We want you to thrive, not survive. And this free event, open to absolutely anyone that is interested, is your first step to nailing it. It's on November the 16th, and as with all Purple Patch events, if you can't attend live, you can register and we will send you the package recording. Now, if you've missed out on this, we're happy to send it after the fact. Just email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com. And yes, I would love to see you there. You will get to ask your questions, and I promise I will do my best to answer them. Social fun, and most importantly, helpful. So you want to do your first Ironman, November the 16th. All the details at the Purple Patch events page. Just head to purplepatchfitness.com. Go to the events tab and you will see it listed there. And if you can't, as I said, just email us, info at purplepatchfitness.com. We'll be happy to sort it out. All right, with that, I want to do a little bit of my duty, the promotion. And yes, it's for Inside Tracker. Yes, folks, as you likely know by now, if you're a keen listener to the show, we have indeed partnered with Inside Tracker. And why, you might ask, why are you taking this on? Well, the reason is pretty simple. We feel like the information and recommendations that are delivered from the assessment of biomarkers and their insightful recommendations are to be trusted. They can really help provide clarity for every performance-minded enthusiast. And that clarity is where should you actually filter your focus and apply it so that you can achieve a platform of health that enables you to get on to go on the quest of winning a world championship, be the best mother or father you can be, be the best employee or leader in which your body allows you. And it's all anchored around not just nutrition or supplements, but in fact, gaining perspective on where should I apply my focus in training, nutrition, recovery, strength, the purple patch pillars of performance. And in many ways, I believe that Inside Tracker sort of turbo boosts your checkpoints along the performance journey because it provides information and insights and of course recommendations so that you can apply it. And then as you go forth and get about with your habit-driven life, go and apply a smart, pragmatic approach. You come up, you have a little perspective and you can course correct or see your improvements. And that's really cool. Now, you don't need to be a purple patch athlete to utilize Inside Tracker. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatchpodcast and you can find out more. But on top of that, if you use this code, please don't share it, purplepatchpro25, that's 25, purplepatchpro25 is 25% off the entire store. And that's great for all of you guys. Now, if you do utilize the services and you want to get a coaching consultation from us, just reach out to us. We'll help you filter the results and apply it to your performance journey. And that's great. And we're proud of this relationship. But there is much more to this partnership than just what InsideTrack offers. In fact, when we started to engage with InsideTracker, we were after more. And InsideTracker are stepping up. You see, for our Purple Patch athletes, we are just about to release our whole schedule of education and performance support from the team of experts, dietitians, and scientists at Inside Tracker. What we have is regularly scheduled education and video calls with Purple Patch athletes that are integrated into our programming. Pretty cool, huh? And that is why we partnered. So that we could, yes, leverage the platform, but also amplify our education and access to experts for our Purple Patch athletes. Now for that, you do need to be a Purple Patch athlete and I'm sure you understand why. And so if you'd like to join us on that, head to purplepatchfitness.com to find out more or of course you can email us info at purplepatchfitness.com. As ever, 
Purple Patch athletes get the same code. They can leverage it so that they can get their discount. But more importantly, they get the support of Inside Tracker. And that is where the magic and the rubber meets the road. All right, Barry. Now, it's time to do a little singing and dancing. We haven't done this for a week or so. And I would like you to bring out the ukulele. It is time for Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks. Serious with the way. Let's open the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week. Strength. Strength training. I've barked on about it. We had Coach Michael Zinsky on the show a couple of weeks back. It is one of the purple patch pillars of performance. And let me remind you, you need to do strength training. And on top of it, it is right now an ideal time to start. But then you need to continue. You need to do strength. Ah, but Matt... You're talking to a very broad audience, C-level executives, world-class athletes, performance enthusiasts, mums, AARP anarchists, perimenopausal female athletes. There's a broad spectrum there. So who of this group are you really talking to? Which of us should do strength training? Okay, fair enough. Point taken. Allow me to narrow it down. If you are through puberty and you have a heartbeat, and you care about your health and performance, strength training is for you. Yes, I am talking to you. And that is why it is our word of the week, strength, and all that falls under that wonderful umbrella, our word of the week. And now, Barry, thank you very much for your work today. We are on to Dr. Chris Winter, neurologist, sleep expert, and educator. Ladies and gentlemen, it is the meat and potatoes. Yes, it is the meat and potatoes, ladies and gentlemen. And once again, it's been a long time, but once again, I get to welcome back a good friend of mine, neurologist and sleep expert, world leader in the field, I would say, Dr. Chris Winter. Chris, welcome back. Thank you, Matt. It's a it's a pleasure. It's been a, a long time. I can't remember. We, we're adding our our original two discussions that we had in the show notes, but it's been a long time since we've chatted. Well, I, I, think we've I remember I did that in Nashville. I remember I just got into the hotel and like turned on my computer and we went at it. I thought you were in Vegas, but it was in Nashville. There you go. So, yeah. so, so here are the big topics that we want to try and get into today. And, and it's a little bit of a back to basics episode, which I think will be really, really important and very accessible. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive into the physiology of sleep. Uh, so, so often now, but I want to give you the reason I'm talking about this, is so often people have got to the point that they understand sleep, that they understand sleep is important but do they really understand why, what's happening when we're actually at rest and sleep? So I wanna get into that. I wanna try and unpack some of the common sleep mistakes. And then if we have time, we might get into even a little bit of recommendations or an action plan around sleep hygiene, particularly for performance enthusiasts. Uh, so fasten your seatbelt, you ready to go? I am, I think it was Vegas, I think you were right. <laughs> I just saw the razzle dazzle in the background. So let's um I want to do a, a quick sweep and background of your of your role. So can you just give us one minute into your educational and professional background? Sure. So I, I got started in sleep back when I was an undergraduate uh at the University of Virginia, just accidentally, and then just sort of never left the field, went to medical school down at Emory. Um, and worked with Don Blywise and David Rye down there, who were just kings in the field. Uh, went back to the University of Virginia to do a neurology, in my internship in neurology uh, residency, did a sleep fellowship at Chapel Hill, and then came back to Charlottesville and started a, a, a clinic, started a sleep center, and have been seeing adults and kids ever since. And then on the side, work with professional athletes and teams to help them with their with their sleep. And unfortunately, our Red Sox and Dodgers are both out now. So I've got 
I've got no horse in the race. Oh, we're going to we're going to get to that in a couple of moments. But the, I, I want to first, I think, unpack just uh, just for framing Charlottesville, urology and sleep medicine. What give the listeners a little bit of insight, you say help adults with their sleep, what day to day role there? What does that mean? What does it look like? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in broad strokes, it's individuals who struggle to fall asleep or to stay asleep. So, you know, I don't like the phrase can't sleep, but that's the colloquial term, I think. And then mm -hmm. there's the the opposite side of that spectrum of individuals who can't sleep enough. You know, they're constantly tired, constantly fatigued uh, and constantly feel sleepy. And so our job is to sort of address and understand both adults and kids who have those issues. Um, something that's not working right with their sleep and leaving them feeling tired or fatigued the following day. And is that, is what, what are the tools in your toolbox for that? Some of it is habit change. Is there nutrition or environment? Is there medicine? How, how, how does that interact? So yes, there's everything. Um, I, I think that generally speaking, we are trying to move away from medications for the individuals on that left side of your screen or your radio dial that can't sleep. Um, and the individuals who are excessively sleepy, there often is some sort of intervention. So if you think about an excessively sleepy person, a person who comes to your dinner party and immediately falls asleep or grandpa can't stay awake to watch the, you know, the, the, the baseball game without falling asleep on the couch, Generally speaking, those individuals are sleepy because they're getting an inadequate amount of sleep or there's something dysfunctional about it. So those are the individuals for whom the, the CPAP for the sleep apnea patient, the medication for the restless leg is, is, is helpful. On the flip side, we're often trying to move away from the medications. The person who says, I get in bed and I can't shut my mind off. I can't sleep. I wake up, can't get back to bed. We're usually using different tools and techniques to try to get that individual to a place where there's a confidence and a reliability in their sleep. Ah, performance predictability is one of my coaching terms. It sounds like that applied uh, in sleep in many ways. Eh? Our jobs are very similar. I, I talk about sleep as a performance endeavor a lot. Um, and, and you're fooling yourself if you don't think there is a certain level of confidence and mastery when it comes to sleep. This is, you know, sleep is not a trait as much as it is a skill. Um, now, you may find that your running is hindered because your knee really hurts. So there may be things outside of your control that need to happen for you to get that skill to the place where you want it to be, but it's not something that we're innately born with. So, you know, people who say, I, I wish my kid were was a good sleeper like her kid, he or she can be, we just need to, to do the right things to get them to that place. A lot of mindset involved in that. It, it, absolutely. And, you know, we, I started with the Charlottesville and let's call it the broad scope of everyday folk. Now I'm going to go to the other end, the very elite world-class athletes. You, you are very well known for your work with the professional sports teams, pr probably most famous, at least throughout how I uh, really starts interacting with a lot of your research you did around sleep and time zone management for baseball teams. And um, in fact, the San Francisco Giants, my local team, publicly discussed how important your role was when they won the World Series in the seasons of 2012 and 2014. And then you went and ruined all of that legacy by going down and working with the Dodgers, which is a conversation for another day. But um, but I know that you've worked, you know, in New York Rangers, Oklahoma Thunder, I think Cleveland Indians by memory, Boston Red Sox, obviously, I just heard now. I'd, I'd love a, a couple of minutes of just how you how you work with those teams and perhaps what your thumbprint, ego aside, what your thumbprint on how they go about things has been. That's a good question. I, I hope my thumbprint is more of a cultural one. I, I think that when you look at organizations who want to impact sleep. At the end of the day, I am a doctor with a small set of skills helping an athlete sleep their best and, and by proxy perform their best. So it's it's not about the watch I put on their wrist or the pad under their bed or the elite sleeping pajamas, if there were such a thing. It's really just about 
the same work that I do in Charlottesville, just with somebody who may feel like there's a lot more on the line and a lot more eyes on them. I, I would argue that a English teacher's job is equally as important as a second baseman's. There's just a different level of complexity and stress involved in that, maybe. Um, so at the end of the day, that's what I'm doing. I, I hope my thumbprint is when that athlete feels as if their hamstring isn't right, when they feel like their their gait on a long run is doesn't feel good in their hip, they're going to tell you there's something wrong. When, I, when I'm swimming this leg of the triathlon, I feel this kind of weird hitch that I've never felt before. And I can usually swim through it, but sometimes I can't. And at the end of the day, I've got this searing pain in my shoulder. They're going to tell somebody about that. There's no benefit to them to keeping that to themselves outside of maybe a losing a sponsor. Or, you know, something, I don't know. But, but what we want to do is we want to make sure that people are talking about sleep in those, in those similar ways. I don't feel as rested now in the season as I did early on. I've got a child who is creating issues with my sleep at home. Um, I sweat a lot at night so much so that my clothes are soaked when I wake up. So I, I want there to be conversation because when there's conversation freely moving among people within an organization, even outside of me, that's when solutions can be devised. If everything's sort of kept to themselves and there's an attitude of sleep is for the weak, uh, we can sleep when we're dead, there's no sleep that a good cup of coffee can't handle. I, I think that's when not only does a player suffer, but organizationally you're going to suffer too. So I don't think it's an accident that the teams I work with do well. I don't think it has anything to do necessarily with what I do. It's just the mindset of an organization who thinks sleep is important regardless of who they hire to help them with that is going to be successful. I think it's a, on my side where, you know, my label given to me as uh, within the triathlon coaching space is the recovery coach, because I really emphasize the importance for a long time, the importance of recovery, not something that's obviously well accepted now, but I have noticed a paradigm shift starting to occur in the workplace culturally in some instances where that used to be that a lack of sleep was a badge of honor and now as i said to a group of techies the other day it's a badge of performance stupidity but um but i i, I think that it is starting to evolve across there and and it's a lovely segue into really some of the meat and potatoes that i want to ask you about and as i mentioned i want us to nail the basics today because I find ourselves as performance enthusiasts and as coaches absolutely inundated with messages about the importance of sleep, recovery is power, all the magic can happens when we sleep, the adaptations, you can work hard, but the adaptations occur, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But very few I find actually pause and say, why? What's actually happening? What happens if we consistently undersleep? And so I, I want to dig into those components. So we, we know that sleep restores. Athletes are told that adaptations occur in sleep. Can you actually break down in, in accessible terms what happens to us when we sleep? It's a little bit of a step-by-step -step guide. Sure. Um, and you know, keep in mind, there's still a fair amount of mystery involved in the entire process. But I think the first thing that I would impart to a listener would be that sleep is a very active state that we're in. Um, one of the things that people often talk about, you know, I, I wish I could turn my mind off at night. Um, and our minds are actually very active. Our brains are extremely active during sleep. It's a, it's a process, like you said, of recovery, of tremendous state change. Um, and there's probably no bigger aspect of that than when you start to break down the stages of sleep, light sleep, dream sleep, deep sleep. Deep sleep is extremely conser conserved over life. When you look at different animals and, and the stages of sleep, that deep sleep is a very important time because it's the, it's the by, by name, the deepest state of our sleep. It's the place where we're most unconscious, most disconnected from the world. Um, and when you look at what the ha what's happening with the brain, that deep sleep you can see in the brain activity during that time, these very slow 
lumbering waves of electricity, very different from the fast, tiny little waves that you see when a person's awake and conscious and interacting with their environment and learning and, and understanding. Um, and what's happening is that conscious part of the brain has been sort of taken offline for a bit. And the more rudimentary parts of our brain are sort of in charge. And it's long been thought that sleep is some sort of um, process of energy sort of rejuvenation that without it, after a period of a few days, systems kind of break down and we die. In deep sleep, particularly in adults, adult men, is the time when we make growth hormone, which is a really fascinating substance in our body. It's abbreviated GH. And as the name implies, when we're young, we get a lot of growth hormone, we grow. Um, and then at some point we stop growing, but we never stop recovering and repairing and taking the body that we have and, and sort of uh, creating a better version of it given the, 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 the struggles and aches and pains we experience throughout a day. So we're constantly remodeling our body and, and shaping it in a way. And that has everything to do with growth hormone. So to me, growth hormone is sort of this substance of youth when you really look at it because you know aging is a very interesting uh topic and in, in, in subject of study especially in the realm of performance and athletics you know why can't we just continue to run our fastest and be the best athlete we want to be all of our lives as long as we put the time into the gym and eat well and when you look at an individual over a long period of time, that depth of sleep, that deep sleep is really what's diminished. So as all of our life, we're sort of losing sleep time. But when you look at the different stage breakdown of that sleep loss, it's predominantly a loss of deep sleep. So if you can imagine a child getting a tremendous percentage of deep sleep in their not life, and as that child matures into senior citizenship, um, that deep sleep diminishing and making less growth hormone because of it, you kind of get a sense that maybe that's one of the core aspects of the reason why we age and we can't do the things we did in our 20s when we're in our 50s. So to me, that's the huge component of what we're looking for as an athlete or just as a human being in terms of trying to keep ourselves performing optimally, that to rob ourselves or intentionally deprive ourselves of that deep sleep or to not deal with the process that might be subtracting deep sleep from our life, from our from our sleep at night, is really something that's diminishing our ability to perform and recover at our best. It's uh, it's at the most basic level what you said there, with the the rejuvenation and the, what is happening with growth hormone. We are remolding. If you think about an athlete, they are applying a very specific training stress to which they are looking to remold, to borrow your words, stronger, more powerful. And so if you deprive the body of deep sleep through poor habits, poor environment, not setting yourself up, you know, too many screen times and all the other things that maybe we'll go through in a few minutes, you are actually robbing the body's ability to yield the benefits from the hard work at its most basic level, yeah? 100%. And, you know, when we were talking in Nashville, Las Vegas, the last time, you know, one of the things that I have now is a perspective of uh, many, many years in this field. And one of the things that stands out to me, one of the things that I find most interesting are, what is it about this athlete that's allowed him or her to stay in the league as long as, as they have? And one of the things you see very clearly, and you can almost, I've almost gotten to the place where you can predict it is, oh, that guy's not going to be around very long. He's not doing what he needs to do to be at that elite level. I mean, he's got young people biting at his heels right now. And if you don't take that seriously, you're not going to stay in the position you are. And that's not just for elite athletes. It's for any athlete. You can be a 65-year-old triathlete. And if you're not paying attention to your sleep, man, you're putting in hours on the track and in the on the bike and the trainer and the pool for for nothing. And, and it's hard sometimes when you don't have something to compare it against. You you might be improving, but the idea that you're improving to your body's maximum if you're not paying attention to sleep is just you know my son swims at the Naval Academy. I'll just say really quickly. He has gone from a high school situation to a collegiate situation, better coaching, better nutrition, 
better peer group, better mental capacity and training, much, much, much worse sleep and stress. And mm -hmm. he struggled to, to reach his times that he had when he was in high school. And I think that that's not shocking. He's like, look, I got chemistry and, and calculus and I'm not that great at math. So three to four hours of sleep is kind of what I run on now. And so it's been an interesting experiment. What happens if you get the best of everything, but the worst of sleep? Can you overcome that? He sure as hell can't. <laughs> there are great examples of, and I'm going to reverse the conversation in a couple of seconds, but there are some great examples of iconic athletes that are really well known for their really positive focus on sleep that have achieved great longevity and almost look youthful. And of course, one is Tom Brady, but Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Serena Williams, where they, you know, is a very clear example of how have they achieved that? And, and as a backbone of that, it's not the only thing, obviously, and I don't think we would claim that, but sleep is a priority. I, I can say that without having anything to do with their programs, etc., which I think is interesting. And these are older athletes too, and they've got it, you know, and they've been able to reach that level. Maybe you as a coach would say you could reach that level, not pay attention to sleep. It's the maintenance of that level. I don't think that you can do what they do and not at least privately think sleep is very important. It's just, it's just an algorithm that doesn't work. Thank you for the runway for this, because now I'm going to reverse it to performance in life, because it's very easy, I think, for us all to grasp onto Cristiano Ronaldo, okay, elite athlete. But a lot of us in our chosen fields, whether it's teacher, whether it's mum, whether it's CEO and executive, are looking for high performance in life. And that isn't a little peak just to reach the, the, the level. It's to thrive throughout multiple years of, let's keep it professional, career. And when I think about using a case study, an executive focus, energy management, long-term memory, short-term memory, factors like that, with the old school, sleep is a, you know, a badge of bravery type thing or toughness. How does it impact if you have poor sleep, poor sleep hygiene, a lack of deep sleep and rejuvenation? What are the impact on those factors? I mean, I think they're profound and it's tough to see them is the problem. And we're very good at recognizing a heart attack. You know, we're very bad at recognizing atherosclerosis. You know, it's sort of like, if you ask me, how's your car running? It's fine. It could be eaten up with rust. I have no idea. It just, things that kind of creep into our lives are very difficult for us to know what to do with. And youth is a great equalizer. So, you know, we, I was talking earlier with somebody about how culturally, we do reward hard work um, and people who outwork other people. And unfortunately, sometimes we're rewarding people who are outworking at the expense of things like sleep. You know, if you give it to Smith, he'll get it done in 24 hours. If you give it to Thomas, it'll take him a week. Um, okay, well, maybe Thomas has decided he's not going to stay up past 10 o'clock because his life is not worth his job. So it's an unusual sort of situation and that, you know, people can perform at very high levels with bad sleep. I mean, God, we did it all the time as residents in the hospital. And mm -hmm. it does create sort of a culture of, you know, as long as I get my three hours, I'm fine. And I think what we really need to do is we need to better define what fine is because fine is dead at 55, even though you were an elite age group triathlete, nobody can figure it out. You know, that guy, how did he die at 55? He was the healthiest person I know. Was he? He might've been the mm -hmm. fastest runner, maybe he ate well, but going to bed at midnight up at four o'clock when the market's open, you know, may, may not have, have been a great strategy for a long-term healthy life because you know, these things are, are dramatically impactful. It's just sort of a fractional subtraction every day that you do it. It's like one cupcake won't hurt you, but if your diet is exclu exclusively cupcakes, you might be in big trouble. <laughs> and, and I guess to, to finish this section, because I want to talk about where people get unstuck, but 
I'm going to ask you one of those questions that if I am being interviewed, I hate being asked, <laughs> which is right. what's the upside? So, so take someone I know, and it's an unanswerable question. Take someone that is a high performing executive that has a very poor sleep hygiene that you successfully have an intervention with where they adopt really positive habits and their sleep really improves. What's the yield for them? Is there any way to sort of a measurable yield or the outcome? And, and is it energy? Is it feeling? Is it focus? Is it everything? I think it's everything. And it's fun sometimes. I mean, every now and then there'll be like a, a sleep tracker watch that is part of their, you know, advertising. They're like, let's do a week where everybody's wearing your watch, strive to get you know, at least eight hours in bed for, you know, for 14, 14 day challenge or whatever. And it's really, I did some stuff with precision nutrition where we had subscribers um, sort of participate in one of three groups, alcohol group, light group, temperature group for two weeks, sleep in your bedroom as is for the next two weeks, sleep with your bedroom, five degrees cooler or sleep with your, don't drink or for two weeks, drink at least two alcoholic beverages before you go to bed at night. And then you, you answer the question. Um, so generally speaking, if you can get, get people to commit to it, it's pretty rare for people to say, okay, I'm going to take the month of whatever. And instead of growing a mustache, I'm going to actually commit to better sleep. And it's fun to do it with other people, like make it a game, you know? Um, I know uh, Roxanne Pritchard, who's this wonderful sleep researcher up in Minnesota at a college, was handing out T-shirts and this big number eight on them. If you could show that you were getting eight hours of sleep for a week or something like that, and it was wildly popular on campus, got to get an an eight T-shirt or you know whatever. Um, but the fun thing about it is, if you can convince people to do it or to deal with things that are obstructing good sleep, you rarely get people who feel indifferent about it. I mean, it's probably like exercise or good nutrition that it's it can sometimes be surprising to people how good they feel. I mean, if we can just get people to drop their temperature in their bedroom a little bit or put their phone in their kitchen or something. I mean, it's rare for people to come back and say, yeah, I did it for a month. I'm going back to the old hot bedroom with the episode of Friends playing on my laptop right there in bed with me all night long. Like people, you know, they just you just get used to bad things. And then when you go to the good thing, it can often feel quite good. Yeah, no, it's great. That's the well, short term. I mean, to me, like blood pressure, that's a great one to follow. And I meet people all the time, like they're runners, they're athletes, but their blood pressure isn't great or their blood sugar or their lipids aren't great. And if you can convince them, really pay attention to your sleep for the next month while you're checking your blood pressure you know, three or four times a day. And tell me that doesn't make a difference. I know that my blood pressure was elevated when I was in residency because I was running on cortisol. You know, when you're up for, you know, every other night, all night long and trying to come home and play with your kids and sleeping, you know, a woefully inadequate amount, there's something fueling your ability to stay awake and it's not healthy. So let's move on to common mistakes. And I'm going to ask uh, one as a leading question. You actually just mentioned the researcher that, that talked about the, the number eight. Did, do you find a lot of athletes and performance enthusiasts think about sleep just in terms of how many hours is that? And is that a mistake? I do. Um, I think it's a mistake for a couple of reasons. Number one, as athletes, your, your sleep need might be a little bit more fluid than you think it is. Meaning that you're training very hard for a race coming up in, or you're in your sort of uh, part of the season where there's not a lot of races going on and you're a little bit more dormant. Um, that when you're training harder at one time than another, your sleep need can change with it. But just in general, people have different sleep needs. The eight is the middle of a bell curve. It's not some definition. And I think sometimes we we have problems with translational intelligence in the sense that eight hours is an average that doesn't necessarily mean every listener who's listening to this podcast needs eight hours. In fact, I would think a lot of the people that you train might need a little bit more given the sheer intensity of what you're doing. 
One of the things that drives sleep need is a chemical called adenosine that accumulates with athletic performance, you know, exercise. It's, it's the cleaving of ATP to create this chemical called adenosine. We all do it in our mitochondria every day, but if you're running 10 miles and biking 20, you're doing a little bit more than I'm doing. So those things have to always be kept in mind. So the elite athlete is always trying to figure out what's right for him or her at this moment, knowing that maybe in 10 years, given the trajectory of their sport, it could change. Mm-hmm. And what about for, for athletes and executives, what would you identify as the key or most common mistakes that you see folks making as it comes to sleep? Yeah, I think that you've touched on the hours. I think that people sort of get kind of mixed up with that a little bit. I think the other thing is that understanding that sleep is a 24-hour process, even though it's only happening eight out of those 24, meaning that we not only want that sleep schedule and hygiene and all the things we talk about for those eight hours to be great. I like the rest of your day to be pretty structured as well, too. Let's have breakfast about the same time every day. Let's be thoughtful about what we put in our body. Are we exercising? Can we do it around the same time every day? Our bodies love a schedule. And so if you're eating at the same time, exercising at the same time, social interaction, light exposure, meal timing, if all those, even, you know, playing the guitar, hanging out with your family, going to a soccer game, whatever you like to do, if those things happen with some degree of regularity, it's a huge plus in terms of our sleep at night versus I sleep when I can, I eat when I can, I grab something during the day, sometimes I don't even eat at all. My schedule is all over the place. Um, I'm sometimes working through the night when I have deadlines coming up. Our bodies really dislike that kind of haphazard schedule. In fact, it's considered a carcinogen in some ways, that shift work. I work 7A to 7P, then I'm 7P to 7A. That is extremely damaging to the body. So just think about the consistency of your sleep, not just in terms of those eight hours, but sort of around the clock and anything we can do to build in cues that happen at the same time every day really are positive for what our body's trying to achieve. Well, actually, and I'm going to go on a tangent here because we've all just experienced the last 18 months or so of an absolute collision of worlds and a lot of change in our lives. And one of the things that we've noticed as a coaching organization working with people globally of all different levels is this really amplified anxiety. And a lot of it was born out of initially, obviously, a certain amount of fear that people had with this COVID-19. But a lot of it was the disruption to schedule. And suddenly with athletes, they suddenly had no definable goals because races were canceled. What are they training for? But on top of it, we're all working from home and all of our worlds collided. And the people... From an observation, the folks that struggled the most were the ones that went that allowed it to fall into random, random exercise, lack of structure, even lack of meal times with family, and in fact, folks that sort of said, "Oh, I'm not training for anything, so I'm just going to go random." It was really caustic, and those that we, we talked about actually their training been the tent peg in the storm, the one thing that they could really schedule. So I think it's really, really interesting that you bring that up because those that created structure where there was no structure tended to be the, the, the folks that were more adaptable and could pierce through this incredibly challenging period. And the ones that struggled were the ones that went random. So that, that's just a, a little bit of a sort of context very similar to what you were saying there in many ways. My favorite was a guy who would go into the laundry room and turn on the dryer and sit on it with a cup of coffee and a newspaper because that was his his train commute. So he would get up, you know, he had a very small apartment, but he was trying to create a sense of movement. So he moves from the bedroom, make the bed, into the little laundry room, sit there, read the paper, kind of get jostled around a little bit, smell something different, feel something different, hear something different, taste something different, and then did his work in his kitchen and made that his office. So there was a sense of, of structure there he was trying to create where there was none. You're, you're absolutely right. That's a big problem with people who retire 
um, mm-hmm. homeschooled individuals where you've got this kind of inherent flexibility that working from home is fine, but there needs to be, I love that idea of a tent, a tent spike, you know, that kind of anchors everything and, and allows your brain to understand where it is in time and space. I think it's, uh, I think it's incredibly important. And, you know, I, I think that a lot of the anxiety that folks still face now that we have adapted to live with this thing is born out of people that tend to be less structured. So anyway, we're we're, we're a little bit off the topic of sleep, but I think that that's really, really interesting. So for folks that are unstructured, that have a lack of of, uh, of real structure, is there a, if folks want to improve their sleep, is that at the most basic level, what should they do? The A, B, C, environment, temperature you mentioned, commitment to structure. Is there sort of, these are the first three things that you should really go and focus on? Yeah, I, I think those, I think schedule would be number one. What time do you go to bed? What time do you wake up and why? Um, it's an interesting question. I go to bed at nine o'clock every night. It takes me two hours to fall asleep. Why do you go to bed at nine o'clock? I don't, I don't know. It's when my wife goes to bed. It's when I've always gone to bed. I read an article sometime that said nine o'clock was a good time. Like, so it's interesting for people to have the structure, but also you know pay attention to how you've come to these conclusions, um, which I think is really important. So schedule to me is probably king. Um, I think, like you said, environment is, is is important too. Is your bedroom something you look forward to going to? Is it really? I, I, I'm a big believer in a clean sort of uh, organized bedroom. Everybody's got places in the house that accumulate laundry and letters that need to be dealt with and bills or whatever. That should never be your bedroom. And I'm a big believer in making your bed. Just get up, make your bed, make your room look nice. So when you walk in, there's nothing for your brain to sort of deal with. Oh God, the bills or all the laundry and and even just a, a messy bed getting back into it doesn't feel like the day had an opening and a closing. It was just kind of like all one big mess of a situation. So I think that that structure, that sleep hygiene in the bedroom, it's dark, it's cool. There's some lavender spray. There's some sheets that feel good to your body. The temperature in the room is cool. I think all those things are really important. Um, I think exercise can't be undervalued. Uh, I'm sorry, overvalued um, in the sense that I think that if people said, look, I'll do one thing to improve my sleep, but that's all of the capacity for, I would say AM exercise. Um, and, and I know people only have people because of their lives may say, I don't have the capacity to exercise in the morning. Then that's fine. Then exercise in the afternoon, as you get into the evening, it might become a little bit more problematic just in the sense that you're activating yourself right before the time that you want to go to bed. So I, you know, to me, if somebody said, look, Chris, I'm, I'm, I'm yours. You tell me what to do. I don't think there's anything better than to go from a dark bedroom to a well-lit gym or field where you've gone from dark to light. You've gone from cool bedroom to running wind sprints back and forth across some sort of field or a gym. So your body's now getting warm uh, on the bike or in the pool or, or whatnot. You've gone from socially isolated to around your friends that you're training with or your coach and interacting. Hey, you know, you're looking really strong today. We're going to do some of these intervals and really work on this because we're three weeks out from the race and we want to be. So you're kind of interacting with people. You're gone from fasted to fed. You know, some people find it hard to eat before they work out in the morning, but even a gel or something, a, a drink, you know, is, is kind of cueing your body that all these state changes are happening within about a 15 to 20 minute period. You know, you know, when you're out there working out, where were you 30 minutes ago? I was in bed in the dark, quiet and unconscious. And now here I am, you know, getting yelled at and running around and doing stuff. So that's a really important time for a brain because it's really the only time during the day that all of those things happen at once. And so that becomes a very strong marker for your brain is in time. Um, So to me, pairing exercise with that versus, okay, I drag myself out of bed down into the dark basement and I'm on my computer with the blanket over my head. You know, your brain doesn't resonate with your brain. Like you're kind of still asleep. 
And what's really interesting is in, when you talk to people, I'm sure you see this all the time when you first begin working with somebody, you know, they're dragging themselves out and, and they don't like it. And they're complaining, oh, it's too early. I'm cold. I don't want to get in the water. You know, it's hard for me to wake up. And then after a few weeks of that, your brain starts to understand, Christ, this coach means business. Like every morning at six o'clock, we are doing all kinds of stuff. We're being taxed. We're running. We're jumping. We're swimming. We're biking. We're doing. And so your brain starts to understand that if that's going to happen every day at six o'clock, it needs to start preparing for that state around five or five thirty. So it's pretty rare to find even the most night oriented person who's really committed to that kind of exercise. They'll tell you, you know, the craziest thing is I'm waking up like five minutes before my alarm like ready to go. Of course you are because your brain knows what's about to come. I mean, talk to anybody at West Point or the Naval Academy after they've been there a little while. Their brain is kind of conditioned to be like, whoa, it's time to go. And when your brain has that really solid start to the day, it has a fantastic impact on the end of the day. It reminds me, and I cannot remember where I read this or maybe I heard it, but uh I heard a researcher talking about three elements. I think it was light, movement, and social interaction that would kickstart the circadian rhythm to then help you fall asleep 10 to 12 hours later. Is, uh, That's exactly right. right. Yeah, you could put heat in there too. Temperature, we're really finding out a lot about that might be as important as light. You know, So we talk about lots of light in the morning and the blue blockers at night. But the temperature is a really interesting one, too. So one of the things I think that athletes might find very helpful um, if they're if you said, look, give me one thing that might help my sleep. It's, it might be temperature, like do something that cools your bed or your bedroom at night. So from the time you eat dinner and the sun's going down outside, can you recreate that same sort of temperature drop in your environment versus having your thermostat at 74 degrees? Um, and that probably plays into a lot with cold therapy and um, uh, cold tubs and cooling our body, even outside the inflammatory response and, and, and positive things that go along with that. Um, it's sort of like camping. You know, a lot of people describe some of the best nights of sleep they get when they sleep outdoors. And I think that if we can start bringing not only outdoor light into our environment, but maybe that outdoor temperature change. It can be wildly helpful for people in their sleep. In fact, in that experiment we did with alcohol, light, and temperature, the group that said, I'll do the temperature, I'll do my typical bedroom, and then five degrees cooler for two weeks, they were the ones who saw the biggest improvement in their sleep over the alcohol group, subtracting alcohol from their life, and from the light group, making their bedroom even darker. Oh, I would have sworn all day every day that it was the alcohol group that's fantastic. in fact i would have two and that's why i actually participated in it and you got to choose what arm of the study you wanted to do and i did alcohol because i don't really drink and i preach a hey, alcohol is not have as much as you want just have it with breakfast that's my joke don't do that. <laughs> but um so every night i was like drinking beer at night which is the worst feeling to me anyway and sometimes i'd forget and be brushing my teeth getting ready to go to bed my wife would be like chris you forgot your alcohol i'm like oh God. literally like 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 back in college shotgunning a beer and then a second beer right and i bought these kind of heavier beers like this dragon's milk bourbon barrel aged stout so it wasn't like a Coors light so it was shotgunning this heavy beer two of them right before bed but um it was the temperature group that that had the biggest impact this alcohol i mean it definitely affected my sleep but the temperature one was the big one so anyway, so so in, in the last couple of minutes, I can't help, but I, I really want to ask you about this. So fascinating. I, I have to admit, I haven't read it yet, but I'm really excited for it. your new book. You have your original book that was really, really popular, The Sleep Solution. Fantastic book. Highly recommend it. We will put it in the show notes. Of course, you have a new book out, The Rested Child. This is fantastically interesting to me. Can, can you outline I'll butcher it. So can you just outline the premise of the book and maybe without giving too much away? Sure. There are so many parents that listen to the show, maybe some of the insights. Yeah, the premise of the book was I, I didn't really feel like there was a book out there that spoke to sleep disorders in children. And by children, it's sort of birth to college. 
that we really sort of hyper focus on how are we going to get this new baby we've brought in from the hospital to sleep through the night. And the, the secret is you don't have to do anything. The babies are going to sleep. So um, maybe you can make it speed it up and make it faster with some, you know, decisions that you make. But, you know, to me, the whole idea of a child developing a sleep identity, having difficulty falling asleep, having disorders of sleep that are not recognized because so many doctors have absolutely no training in sleep, including the doctors you take your kids to. I just felt like it's sort of criminal that we don't talk about this in children. Uh, and then as somebody who sees kids and adults in our clinic, I just couldn't believe, especially during the pandemic, how many children were coming to our office that were struggling to fall asleep, that would wake up and couldn't get back to sleep, or were falling asleep in class and had no energy and would come home and take a three-hour nap and try to do homework and go back to sleep. And parents were just sort of like, we don't know what to do. The, the, the school has no idea what to do. They're punishing my kid for falling asleep in class. And I'm taking my child to the doctor and they're giving him a melatonin gummy bear. God knows what rationale there has. But, but. So I just really felt like if I could arm parents about not only the disorders of their kids that they could develop, but also the way to raise a good sleeper. You know, To me, it's like coaching. I came to swimming later in my life. I could swim. like I could jump out of a boat and swim to the side and play shark. But in terms of swimming laps in an effective manner, I never did that until I was in my 30s. And when mm -hmm. I look at my children who learn to sleep with, or I'm sorry, swim when they were young, it's like a different thing. It's like learning the language when you're little versus learning Spanish when you're 40. So I really felt like rather than trying to repair all these sleep problem, problems that we have as adults, who often adults come in and say, I've been a bad sleeper since I was a kid. You know, we could really arm parents with the way to sort of train and coach their kids to be better sleepers and recognize when they when they aren't and get help. Fantastic. Really, really interesting. Well, Chris, thank you for uh, joining once again. It's always, firstly, it's almost really informative, but, but also incredible fun. So I really appreciate it. We're going to put all of your information, obviously your books, uh, in the show notes for listeners. And I know that you've agreed to answer some of the listeners' questions, but more than that to come. So Chris, stay safe out there and uh, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Matt. Oh, guys, thanks so much for listening. And thank you so much to Dr. Chris Winter. What a show. I'm sure you have questions. I know the Purple Patch athletes do have questions. I am collecting them right now. Next week, we are going to do a Q&A session with everything sleep on Chris Winter. But if your interest is peaked, let me remind you, we're going to put this in the show notes, but Chris has two books for adults, The Sleep Solution. It's very accessible, a great toolkit of how to improve your sleep. But also, on top of that, The Rested Child. It's a wonderful new book. I've just started reading it. I grabbed it after recording this episode. And I'm a few pages in, but I can tell his style, his accessibility, I think it's one for the parents. And so I would absolutely endorse getting both of those on your bookshelf. But more than that, actually open the pages and read it. All right. Thank you so much, Chris. And thank you to you guys for listening. For all of you guys out there, stay safe, look after each other and take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. And if you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if we share with your friends and really go the extra mile. Head over to Apple Podcasts or your favorite platform to follow, rate, and review the show. Your support and reviews go a long way to increasing our visibility and, of course, the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive, just like me and you. Don't forget... You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Links to the episode resources and all of our programs can be found at purplepatchfitness.com. Thanks much for listening. Take care.